Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we talk about the hottest legal topics of the week. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. We're part of Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Till you do. Getting right down to it, today is an update show. So many updates. Last week we had the Murdaugh trial. Okay, so we are going to hit four updates. Follow us on the others to, to yes. check out the originals, but we're going to update on the Murdaugh trial. Mm-hmm. We're going to give an update on Gabby Petito because she's one of our favorites. Yes. We are doing an update on... Tyree Nichols. And the fourth one? The shooting. The Newport News shooting. There we go. Of the six-year-old of the teacher. So those are the four updates we're going to do today because there has been so much in the news. Nothing, no one big thing this week, but so many updates to the ones we're already following. Yeah, I think the only big news, and we talked a little bit about this off-air, was just... About the woman who hooked up with a kid. And that's just not a good story that I want to talk about. Like, it's really yeah. upsetting. Don't want to talk about how she did no jail time. So we're going to do updates. Uh, yeah, it, it really was. If you want to check it out, we're it's, not going to do mm-hmm. it. But it's the the woman who um, was initially charged with some kind of rape or statutory rape mm-hmm. of her student who was very young. But yes, I don't love yeah. I don't love all of our stories because so many of them mean murder and death and everything yes, like that. But, but that's like another level of dark, and we're it is. just yeah, I'm not, not ready feeling for that it. Today. It's close to spring. We are already yes. in um, Lent, and yeah. we're in March. We are trying to even wear pastels already. Look, so. I love it. I mean, it's still freezing, so like I have my big sweater. <laughs> but at least your sweater is pastel. Yes, exactly. It's a beautiful color. I'm in pastel. We've got the purple behind us, and we have wine. Look, that's all we need. It is all we not need. <laughs> need. <laughs> okay, so today we're going back to a red wine. Yes. Because it is the legal weekly wine. <laughs> we're going to the red wine, and we've got a Bordeaux. Um, I took some French and I am going to totally butcher this stuff. I want to hear like your best French. I need to hear. No. I took Spanish, so it's not fun. I want to hear the French. No, it's not happening. I actually, as a fun fact, I double majored in college and one of, <laughs> one of my majors was French. How did I not know this? Because I don't speak French. It okay, has okay. been, it has been... 21 years since I graduated. No way. College. Not yes. 2002. I graduated in 2002. That's not, you have to be, you're wrong. No. Like your math has to be wrong. <laughs> it's been 21 years since I graduated college. And that is truly the last time I spoke any French. It's okay. I realized 2023 is going to be my 10 year high school reunion. And I like cried for three days. Like I'm not ready. <laughs> I am not going to uh, join you in your crying because that's only 10 years. I just grabbed, I just told you 21 years for me from college. college. I know, but like. Anyway. I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I now feel older. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to really do any French. I'm going to do uh, Fleur de Roque or Fleur de, Fleur de Roque, Fleur I think de is Roque. actually how it's pronounced is Roque. I would assume um, so. But it's fleur is definitely the flower. Um, I do not know what roque um, stands for, but it's R-O-C. It is a Bordeaux, a red Bordeaux wine, which only comes from the region of Bordeaux. I didn't know that. In France. That is the only way you can have a Bordeaux wine is for it to come from Bordeaux. Just like champagne. Look at that. Exactly. 
Um, so we are going to drink that today. We have got it poured. I wish I could tell you more about it, but it's going to be in the description. So yep, check out perfect. the notes to the show in both the podcast as well as the YouTube version mm-hmm. of the video version. I do. We are putting the wines in each of our descriptions, yes. so you should be able to find it. Since I can't pronounce it very well, we're going to put it, but it's a beautiful bottle. Yeah, it's, it's really pretty. Really pretty um, bottle. And we are going to taste it and see how it compares to our other rooms. Look our little ding. <laughs> we're getting it down. Mm. And there's your, your My gold. gold. Did you hear it? <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> That's it's, good. It is good. I forget that it is definitely a distinct taste for the Bordeaux. I like it. Versus the other reds. I don't know if I've actually had a Bordeaux. Have we had one on the show? We have not. This is the first Bordeaux that we have had on the show. I think it might be my first Bordeaux. I like this. Really? I'm thinking, yeah, I don't think I've ever had one. Or if I did, I was too drunk to remember. (laughs) God. (laughs) The confessions on our show. Um, Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it is quite tasty Keeping it is it real. a Bordeaux um, I'm glad it's your first Bordeaux it's at good. least you're having one it is very good um, I wish we were better at describing them but it is quite tasty I know I feel like every time I'm like yep it's good down the hatch <laughs> like, there are some there that I, I've preferred more than the others mm-hmm. so this is not my favorite it is it is okay it's nice though mm-hmm. it's nice it's average to me Beautiful bottle. I don't know. I kind of really like it. You like it. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain it, but it's really good. Anyway, that's our wine. So (laughs) I'm trying it again. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'm going to drink it. Give us some descriptor words. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Somebody who knows wine, (laughs) grab one of these bottles and tell us what you think. Give us a better description than the ones that we're making, which are clearly not very good. But we're enjoying it. Yeah. It's good. And expanding our palates. We are. Suggest another wine for us. If you have one that you'd like, suggest one for us. And we will, yeah, we will take it from there. But now that we have got our wine started, grab a glass. Whatever you're drinking, it is happy hour, okay? It is happy hour on Friday, middle of March. Grab something to drink. Let's drink a glass together. Cheers to you. And here we go. Murdoch. Alex Murdoch. Okay, look. (laughs) This is for a trial lawyer. This has been so fascinating. Such a great case, legally speaking. Yes. Okay. Also, anybody who watched us last week, we made our predictions. We did. God, we did. We made real predictions. And within hours, the jury was back and had decided. Yes. We didn't even publish our show like before it came down. No. It all came down. He, he got convicted. He yep. was sentenced. All of it happened like so that. fast. And truly, I I was less confident in my predictions of the outcome mm. than I was in the time it was going to take them oh to reach that outcome only because like it it was a trial that was so long with so much evidence that 6 weeks. Right, and then I mean, maybe it was so conclusive, the evidence, but I was, I was so surprised. Yeah, I, I was surprised too. Usually in my estimates and my work with jury is they only come down that fast if it's in not guilty. Oh. Um, 
at least with my own experiences, if it's a not guilty, they come back fairly quickly. Um, if it's a mistrial, they do not come back quickly at all. Right. Um, but this was truly six weeks of testimony. And then it was like, bam, bam, done. Within three hours. I mean, in my mind, so here's what I think happened as a trial attorney. I think what happened is they made up their mind three weeks before and then just had to listen to the rest of the testimony. Yes. And we're just waiting for it to finish so that they could make a decision. Okay. And I said this and I will stand by this on our last episode. I said that I was interested in this and my eyes were glazing over during the closing, during the rebuttal, but I am kidding you not. I left here and I put on my earbuds to listen to a different podcast unrelated. Yeah. And the commentator on that podcast was talking about how effective she thought the closings and rebuttals were. And I was like, did I just get it wrong? But I agree. I think they decided way before. Yeah. That was too quick a decision. Yeah. For them to have waited for closing. And truthfully, the evidence. So a couple of the jurors have been interviewed, have, have been speaking out Hey, I called it. The Snapchat video was very convincing to them because our time stamp. It was. But that was like on week two. Like that was the... I'm telling you, I think they have they had decided weeks ago. You do yeah. not come back with that kind of decision that quickly after a six-week trial, six-week trial, if you were waiting for closing to make your final decision. Yeah. I mean, you don't. We've talked about this before. I don't know if there really are many jurors who are making decisions in closing. I think they're either undecided or they have already decided prior to closing. But yeah. what do I know? Just my big theories about the law. I think closing helps. I do think it helps. And there are enough cases where it will sway. Really? Even those last few people or that last person on the jury, it will sway. Because you're, you're putting it all together for them. Yeah. All of the pieces that were there in the trial have finally been put together. And you're saying, here's the package. Let yeah. me describe the package to you. All those pieces, here's where they fit. And here's the bow. And here's what you should decide. Yeah. But this case... I don't think they waited for the bow. I think they'd already tied it up themselves. I mean, I also wonder if just because of the large amount of publicity, had they decided before the trial started? I mean, you're not supposed to, right? right. I was actually reflecting on this a little bit. Here's a little like insight into my brain. We we're talking about this in my wrongful convictions class of I'm a big gut feeling person. Like I trust mm -hmm. my gut instinct. I would be a terrible juror for that reason. Right. Because... I would take the vibes in. And if I just felt off about it, I think I would trust my gut. Well, and that's what I said last yeah. week. So my prediction had been wrong. I predicted first that there would be a mistrial um, or a hung jury yeah. that they just wouldn't be able to decide. There would be one or two holdouts. So that was my first prediction. And then if that didn't happen, it was a not guilty. So I am totally wrong. Um, don't use me for predictors. <laughs> um, but what I have said is as a juror, my first instinct would have been, like you're saying, mm -hmm. the vibes, how my gut reaction would have been, this guy is guilty. But then if I'm looking at the evidence, I would have said, well, but, you know, what about the two guns? To me, that was the most convincing on the defense. Oh, is why are there two guns? Why is one shot with one gun and the other shot with the other gun? Like, why are there two? That would have been convincing to me yeah. as a juror. But I agree. The gut and me... I'd like to think that it wasn't just gut that they went on, that right. they were there for every piece of the evidence and how it connected. We weren't. No, no, no. But no. I will say that I'm pleased with the verdict. Yes. 
I am. And they came back just as quickly with the sentence as they did with the verdict. Yes. It was another boom. There it is. Okay. He's convicted and now life. I mean, I, I think I was less, at least in my perspective, the way that the sentence is sort of a given for me, right? Like I thought, however he sliced it, this man is never going to be free again. Yeah. You know, even if I don't know. They, he wasn't convicted for the murders. He was going to be in jail for the rest of his life right. for the financial crimes. Now, this is my thought, and I have mm-hmm. not asked you this. Ooh, okay. Me. We talk a lot about judicial efficiency mm-hmm. in law school, right? If this man is already in prison for the rest of his yeah. life for the murders, having him charged criminally doesn't seem very efficient to me for the financial crimes. I mean, sure. sue him in civil court all day to get... The money. The money, but is it really a good use of, like, time and energy to prosecute him for those crimes? Not necessarily, but it does. I mean, look at R. Kelly, right? Okay. Okay, I, I know. Your face <laughs> is hilarious. Like, I need a picture of your face on that. Like, how does yeah. R. Kelly relate to this? It was how like, many <laughs> charges? <though? laughs> I was, like, running through my ba- brain very quickly about anything I've known about R. Kelly. And I was like, he's a pedophile, right? <laughs> Yes, okay. he is. Yes, that was yes, it. He is. That was all I had up there. Um, and he's had how many different charges oh, and trials so now and been convicted? And the same could be said. Well, you could have stopped at one, right? It's he's serving the same time, but there are different there are different questions. The first yeah. is how many victims are there? Right. Okay. So Alex Murdaugh's wife and his son now have justice. Yes. In whatever way you can call it. But what about all the people whose money he stole? Right. So in a way, it's, well, okay, we're not going to be satisfied with just that crime because there are other crimes that you shouldn't be able to get a buy with, and they're victims of those too. Yes, it's financial crimes, but serious victims, and they should be allowed to come forward too. There's also a way through criminal trials, at least for financial crimes, where you can request restitution. Okay. So it's like a civil case where you prove the crime, you say, yes, he's committed all this fraud, He's however the crimes are done. I and actually know about this. Do you really? I have filled out a restitution form in Virginia, now that you mention it. Okay. Um, there was a situation in my old apartment that we kept having packages stolen. Um, oh, that's <laughs> right. The little package theft. Okay, look. I but tried, it was real. It was real. Like, it was... He stole my law school textbooks at one point. Ugh. Like it was repetitive and that he would just take what he wanted and then throw the packages outside. So I got the books back, but there were lots of things that kept getting stolen. I put yeah. this camera up to like scare them off. He didn't care. He he made direct eye contact with the camera. You knew picked up my package and walked away. Um, so I tried to talk to his, it was a kid. I tried to talk to his mom about it. I still couldn't get my stuff back. So finally I was like, okay, I'm filing a report. So I had to fill out this form, Fairfax County. And yeah, they said, you know, like, um, there were a couple questions. They were like, you know, how much were the things? Do you have a receipt? Were you like compensated? Because it was Amazon Prime. They refunded me. Um, But it was a whole thing. So now that you say I have filled out one of those forms. So in a criminal trial, the victims can testify to what they had put in, what Mm -hmm. was stolen from them, and an amount. And kind of like a civil case, The judge says, this is the amount that was taken from each of these people, and I'm ordering restitution. And it's an order. It becomes a civil order. It's converted to a civil order and can be collected 
But that kind of helps the victims where it's already a court order. You don't have to go through mm-hmm. all of the civil process of suing them, working with the insurance company. It becomes an immediate order. So if there's a plea on the criminal financial crimes, then you can get a plea and agreement to restitution and it's already entered. So that's one reason to go after it. Is there something they could like garnish his wages? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. You can enforce the judgment. You can enforce the order. It is a financial judgment um, against the defendant and you can enforce the order, request garnishment, request um, bank balances. You can actually yeah. even use that order to go take his home. Um, to if force he hasn't moved any, everything right. in a buster's name. <laughs> right. You can technically force a sale if he was able to purchase things with money that he obtained illegally. Um, then the state, the, the county, whatever government agency it is that's doing the prosecution can then actually change that to like evidence of a crime. Exactly. Right? Here's the here's where the money want, went. We know that the money was used to buy this yacht, this okay. car, this whatever it is. And then they can seize those possessions, even if they're in somebody else's name now. If they were purchased with the money that was stolen, they can even seize those items okay. and recover the money on behalf of the victims. Okay, that does make more sense. Okay, I can see why. At I least mean, for financial crimes. So it is it is something about the victims, right? Each yeah. victim wants to say, each victim wants to have their day in court. And even for the financial crimes, it gives them a better ability and hope of recovering the money somehow right. um, versus just having to individually sue. Now, they should still individually sue or could still individually sue. But that's one reason. Okay. Now, the extra question, though, my husband had oh. is, right? Okay, I'm <laughs> we curious. love what Eric has to say. So his question was, the sentence for him for the two murders mm-hmm. was life each right. per, per person. But they ran them consecutively right. versus concurrently. Do you know what that means? Yeah, concurrent is at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And then consecutively, it's like back to back. Exactly. Like so you have to serve. Very good. I was a spelling bee champ, okay? (laughs) So I know all the, like, you know, suffixes. Very nice. It's really impressive. That's why we're uh, hiring her after law school. Um, (laughs) It's really just pattern recognition. Think well on my feet. (laughs) Hey, it's still smart is what I call it and brilliant for working with me. This is great partnership. Um, Where she's not practicing law without a license. um, I'm just giving my big opinions on Monday morning quarterbacking. But But it's brilliant. So, yeah. So, he was given consecutive life sentences where it's back to back. And Eric said, well, what's the point? You know, he's going to live one life and and how's he going to serve another life? And in my mind, I think it was the principle of the the matter. The principle of the matter where they were able to say and the judge is saying Look, each life deserves a life. Yeah. And even though you're not technically going to serve two lifetimes, right. you only have one, it's the principle of each life deserves it. And this is a value and that is a value. And your crime is so bad that we are going to make it consecutive. And the other thing that that does, and the other reason for other crimes to be prosecuted, okay. are appeals. He's going to appeal. Right. He, I mean, he has to. This is going to go up through the appellate system. Yeah. And if something falls through, mm-hmm. let's say an appellate judge for some reason says, you know what, this was wrong. This shouldn't have been put into evidence. 
Um, that should have been kept out. This right. should have been disclosed instead of, you know, there are so many things that an appellate court could strike the lower right. court's ruling, the jury's verdict or the case and remand it back for retrial. Remanded. Yeah. So in the prosecutor's mind, I would be saying just in case that doesn't work. I'm going to make sure he's prosecuted on all of these other things so that he is still in jail. I mean, I do think he kind of killed his defense for these financial crimes by testifying at his, he's like, I'm a liar. I'm a, you know, I'm a thief, but I am not a murderer, which I think for murder mm-hmm. is a great defense, but he had to, I think in the end he had to, right. Um, it was the only thing he could do and he did it, but it didn't help him. And in because he testified, it's what we call an admission, right? Yeah. An admission by a party opponent. So you bring the financial crimes cases and someone just, you can even read his testimony in because it's an admission under oath. Right. So where it's he is not hearsay because it was in court, right? It was in court under oath made for the truth of the matter. And it's his statement. So the defendant's statement can come into any of these other trials. I don't think he could go to, I, I mean, personally, I think he should plead rather than go to trial on the financial crimes, I mean, but that's hey, why you go forward. Maybe they'll let the new partners of the law firm get some trial practice. Right. <laughs> I mean, but even they can go after him. Okay. I do have a question for your opinion. Yes. I have a strong opinion on this for no Ooh. reason. Interesting. Okay. After a conviction, when the defendant who has now been convicted Mm -hmm. gets a chance to address the court. Yes. I personally, for no particular reason, absolutely hate it. Shut up. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Like, I don't want to hear any statement after the conviction. I've never heard one and been like, that was a good idea. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Like, honestly. Um, I think it depends. Okay. Like it's, there's I, no particular reason. I just, it grinds my gears. If they're not going to say, I'm so sorry this happened, mm-hmm. then they should not say anything. If they are going to get up and say, I'm innocent, I didn't do this, don't. Let your attorney just simply stand up and say, your honor, he's going to choose not to say anything, but we are objecting and he's reasserting that he, he's innocent of the charges. Boom, done. Your attorney said okay, it on fair. your behalf. Um, but if he's going to get up and say, no, I didn't do this, all you're going to do is anger the other family, right? The, mm-hmm. the people who are still alive, they're going to be upset. The judge is going to get upset and say, you're not taking responsibility for this. So in his ruling, he's going to say, wow, you know, it was concurrent life sentences, but you are so callous. You're still not admitting that you did this. You're not giving any closure. You are absolutely immune to this. So I'm going to give you two. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's the thing is that I really am, and I am so picky. Normally I feel like I don't dissect people's words. I sort of just take what they're saying, but I am very picky about these and they'll say, I'm sorry this happened. I'm going to be like, no, you did something. Something didn't just happen, which is so semantic. But I, in these situations, it angers me like nothing else. And I don't know why, but I'm just like, even the Mm -hmm. ones, like I said, I'm in a wrongful convictions class and a lot of these, I mean, it's. I think all of the convictions have been men that we've read. Yes. But these men, a lot of the times, will address the court after their their initial conviction and talk and talk and talk, which kind of harms them. 
in their appeals. And then, you know, and these are people who at the end of the day were innocent, were proven to be innocent, were wrongfully convicted. But even then, I think maybe it's, you know, the benefit of hindsight being like, just stop talking. Just That's why you have your attorney stand up and say, thank, you know, my client thanks the court for it's, you know, his ability to speak at this time. We're going to choose not to. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we're continuing to exercise his rights, but the, he thanks the court. Yes. You know, my client thanks the court for this opportunity. Thanks the victims. We're grateful that they came up, you know, thank you for talking and telling us, you're, right. you know, have the attorney speak for you so that they can have these magnanimous words. Of yes. Thank you for all of the victims family for coming forward. We know this was difficult for you. And um, leave it there. Leave it. But I just do think- leave it. You kind of segued unintentionally to having an attorney speak for you into our next topic. Oh, wow. Okay. Again, when you said Gabby it, just... Petito show. <laughs> no, it's a good segue. You said it. I was like, oh, that's perfect. But no, so, for, you know, I think mm-hmm. for our conclusion for the Murdoch is that that was wild. Um, I do love people's conspiracy theories on TikTok. Oh, it's I'm, been so fun to watch this Oh, I love week. them. People who are like, I'm from the South and I know what really happened. I watched them all. I watched them all. The comparisons to, you know, to the Reba song. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. I already love that Reba Me song. Too. For you guys who have not seen it and it's all over TikTok and YouTube and everywhere else is the night the lights went out in Georgia. Such a good Old song. Old Reba McIntyre song. I loved it yes. as a child. Like, I grew up with this I'm song. I'm a big Reba fan. But as soon as it started getting comparisons to this trial, that was perfect. Yes. It was absolutely perfect. The judge in the town has bloodshed on his hands. Yes. Don't um, trust your soul to know backwoods Southern lawyer. <laughs> That's perfect. It's classic. So now all I'm doing is listening to this song. It's on, but it's not even the whole song. Just that little clip is like on repeat in my brain. <laughs> Don't trust your soul to know backwards Southern lawyer. Yes. Love it. I'm a big Reba fan though. Me too. Oh my gosh. She's so good. She still it's is. clever. It's so, yeah, I think that's it. her. She's really like lyrical. And so her lyrics are very clever in a lot of her songs that I enjoy. She's a storyteller. There you go. And that's what makes Reba Reba is she is a storyteller mm-hmm. and that's a lot of country songs as you get the full story and what a story this has been. Yes. So. And now we're going to one of our favorite topics. You can pass if you want to, but seriously, we're back to Gabby Petito. We love this case. Um, I wish I had known Gabby. Yeah. Honestly, I think she was the, the most interesting person. I think I would have liked her very much. And I wish that we were talking about Gabby Petito as she's still living. What a story she has to tell of how right. she escaped from this, how she survived. Right. Um, but but she's not. So I hope in some ways us talking about her and her case is a reflection of who she was and that she meant something and that she should still be remembered. I mean, I think I enjoy talking about her case, not because the case is enjoyable, but I think her parents have set the standard how they want people to talk about the case. Mm. Yeah. Um, That they want her name to continuously be brought up. They want her foundation to be brought up. They want her story to be brought up. So I think there are some cases um, we probably wouldn't talk about because the families have said we don't want publicity on our cases. Right. We want to be considerate. But her family has really been out there continuing this, which is why this legal battle has continued. Oh my goodness. Far past the length of sort of the initial investigation. I 
applaud them. I do too. They are going, her family, so Gabby's parents have engaged in multiple lawsuits um, against Brian Landry's estate um, who strangled her, her boyfriend, fiance who strangled her. And the current one that's at issue is they have sued Brian Landry's parents yes. for emotional damages because they made a statement through their lawyer of saying, basically, we hope that they find Gabby alive and well and she's reunited with her, her family. And what they're asserting is that this was improperly put out when they knew that Gabby was already dead because Brian had told them. And so they were giving the Petito family false hope. Yes. And they continued to support this. And all of the time that Gabby was being searched for, where the family didn't have to say anything. So I applaud them for making such an interesting argument of, look, what you did has caused us harm. It was because you could have just said nothing. Nothing. All you had to say was nothing. Right. And I think if they had said nothing, there probably wouldn't be a true cause of action. Now, they probably would have still filed suit to bring attention to it, but I think it would be a less strong claim. However, it gets stronger and stronger. It keeps getting. So last time we talked. cannot stop talking. This is the perfect analogy to give someone enough rope to hang themselves with. And they'll do it. Because that's what they've been doing. So last time we talked, we talked about this letter that had been um, at the heat of of a legal battle, sort of in court of the Petito and I'm using that her parents have last different last names at this point, but the Petito family. The Petito family, Landry family, will be the parents of each of them. Um, said that there was a letter that seemed to indicate mm-hmm. um, that Roberta, Brian's mother, um, I mean, the letter was about hiding a body. I'll help a, you dig a body. I'll bring a shovel. And I'll bring, I'll sneak a saw into jail. And so this, anyways, this contested letter has been an issue. It was in the FBI's custody. It was given to the attorney. Mm-hmm. Essentially, last time we talked, and you can go into detail about what that was about, the um, Landry family was like, look, this is not relevant to the claim at hand because this letter was written prior to her death. Well, prior even to, right, prior to the death. So prior to them going out to Utah. Right. Prior to her body being found, prior to so, her being murdered. The claim for emotional distress, I mean, the, I mean, the legal argument there was like it just could have no bearing on the claim for uh, emotional distress. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> and then Roberta, for some unknown reason, decides to essentially write a letter to the court, a sworn affidavit. I have a theory on that, but go Ooh, ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Sworn affidavit um, or letter to the court. Trying to contextualize and explain the context of this letter. She's now claiming that she gave it to Brian before they left yeah. on the trip, mm-hmm. which is confusing to me because me and my mom are BFFs. I call her like three times as, a day. As we know on this show and our yes. other, I love your mother. Love her. I call I her know like, she's listening. Yes. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> um, I call her like three times a day 
Never once in my entire life have I lived in the same house house as my mother, and she has she written a letter to me, right, and like handed it off. That is a strange. Oh wait, don't forget burn after reading. <laughs> and then don't forget mom to put that down. Burn after reading. Yes, maybe she can do one of the um, seals. Wax seals, that's next. I like it. And maybe like a decoder look. I loved Nancy Drew as a kid. Oh my gosh, some invisible ink. I mean, seriously, are we in a mystery novel? This is absolutely ridiculous. And then the explanation gets bizarre. And do you have the language? Some of it, yes. Okay, we're going to have her pull it up. We're using the phone on the podcast, but so we ha- this language is strange. The full affidavit has not been released. And from what I can glean is that the overall context was her saying that Burn After Writing was a reference to a children's book she read to Brian, which, what children's book? The, were you, like, at the age you would read something to a child, had anything to do with, like, like I said, that's like a Nancy right. Drew, um, what, what were the boys? Christy, Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys. I mean... Seriously, what planet are we on? So she's claiming that, so the idea legally is that this letter shouldn't be admitted into evidence because it wasn't written after Mm -hmm. Brian killed Gabby, but before. And the court will have to decide if, first of all, they believe her, okay? Mm -hmm. And if they do, is it sufficient evidence to show that this letter is irrelevant to a claim after of intentional emotional distress after Gabby had already perished. And we talked about it on that episode. Okay, maybe not emotional distress, but let's talk about premeditation, baby. Is this not conspiracy? I mean, I would be, as a prosecutor, as a former prosecutor, all of my little antenna are up. And I have been thinking, I swear, like I'm thinking every day, and this is so pitiful, And I'm telling you anyway, I'm telling everybody that I have been thinking every day of what can I charge this woman with? I would be having a field day. Is it, I'm looking through my code books. What state is she in? Do I do it in Florida? Do I do it in Utah? Which statute could I get her? How do you get her on the stand? That's all you need to do. Oh my gosh. Then we'll do some perjury. That's insane. I think if you got this woman on the stand... Whatever hubris or ego is within her that would compel her to try to explain away these things in a nonsensical letter, she would just run her mouth on the stand, too. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you've got the yes. language. Let's let's have you read it. For those of you who have not heard her explanation is, of this to the court. I'm more confused than ever, to be perfectly clear. Um, so this is one of the quotes. The purpose of the letter was to reach out to Brian while he and I were experiencing a difficult period in our relationship. Brian and I always had a very open and communicative relationship. And in the months prior to the trip, our relationship had become strained. No explanation as to why. (laughs) Okay. Um, Sorry. Brian and I shared a love of stories. And and some of the language in the letter was using similar phrases to describe the depths of a mother's love. Boy moms are weird. Okay, look. You can't I'm going to help you hide a body. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is so ridiculous. Go ahead. Look, my mom loves me that much, but she wouldn't write it down. Come on. (laughs) Right? Right. And that's a very strange way to... Okay. I'll continue. Landry admits that her letter does contain references 
that some would think about her that some would think are about her son and Petito. However, she claims there is no connection between her words and what happened to Miss Petito. While I used words that seemed to have a connection to Brian's actions and his taking of Gabby's life, I would never have fathomed the events that unfolded months later between Brian and Gabby would reflect the words in my letter, which to me is saying, like that's the the confirmation that what he did was related to the letter. Right, that his mom was encouraging her her death. Which was not something we had before. She said it was a reference to all these other things and there was no connection that could even be made. And now she's saying, there's a clear connection, but I had no idea he would do it. My thought is as the judge, what should happen is the judge should allow it in, mm-hmm. should say, I think it could be relevant. And mm-hmm. it is a question for the jury that it is not something that can be decided by me because it is a question of fact and all questions of fact the jury. should go to the jury and the jury should be allowed to decide when the letter was written, mm-hmm. what the letter was in reference to and how it should be applied. That would be my ruling. Not to tie it back to the Murdaugh trial, but I think the quote from Judge Newsom was great. That's fodder for cross-examination. It is. It's a perfect, perfect reference. Yeah. And so I'll read Good. this. Good. Go, go question her about it, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't come in. Yes. I don't think it's unduly prejudicial. I think it's pretty probative about state of mind. Of what she knew. It's what probative she knew and when. of what she knew and when, which is the whole case of did she know that Gabby was dead before they made these public statements yeah. that we hope Gabby's alive and you find her that way. Yes. And so we will end it. This quote kind of grosses me out. Um, the words in my letter could never have been a comment on that tragic situation as they were written so many months before. Again, premeditation, my girl. Like I, my words to Brian were meant to convey my love and support for my son through a lighthearted and quirky reminder that my love for him was not diminished and could not be shaken by the miles of separation we would soon be faced with. So as I read that out loud, killing Gabby and going to jail, but also months before soon separated. I don't, I wouldn't consider multiple months soon, That seems to be a contradiction within a contradiction. She just can't shut up. Yeah. Dear mom. Mommy dearest. I I love you so much that I will help you kill dad. I wrote him a letter of how to kill her and I didn't expect he would do it. I left a recipe for chocolate chip cookies. Why would somebody bake them? Why would they do that? Why would they think that I would help them get out of jail and hide the body? It's okay. Burn after reading. I guess they're ridiculous. Their mommy son bond wasn't strong enough because he said, this looks like evidence. I'm going to keep it in my notebook. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I did not burn it after reading. Right into the trapper keeper. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's Gabby Petito. I know we got some hate mail essentially last time we did Gabby Petito as to what the letter said or didn't say. So Go look it up for yourselves as to whether a shovel was involved, whether a saw was involved, whether it was whatever it was that was going to be given by into the jail. But whatever it actually was and is will come out later through the public documents as they are revealed. 
And I think each person can decide for themselves what the letter meant. Yes. And I think that if this letter, we have parts of it, right? We don't Mm -hmm. have the whole thing. Right. The parts that have come out look pretty incriminating. In my mind, and you can say, I'm not an attorney, you are, I would think that if her attorney, upon reading this letter, said, wow, those quotes were really taken out of context, it really is not what it seems like. Would you not release it? Yeah. Right, like you're an attorney. I'm just (laughs) speculating over here. No, I think you're you're right. There's so many things, and I wish... This goes back to our prior episode. You guys, we've had such an interesting conversation on this, I think, that the theme that we started with that one time is stop talking. Yep. And this is a case where in the public, you need to stop talking and bless her heart, as my Southern phrase goes, um, my backwards would Southern lawyer <laughs> well, self. Isn't she special? Isn't, isn't she special? <laughs> um, <laughs> I knew you would know exactly. Yeah, my southern roots here. <laughs> that, um, whatever happens with this case, God bless, this woman is not doing herself any favors on a personal level, level because she seems like an absolutely horrible human being. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. And I, I don't know how you recover from something like that is stop talking because whatever happens in court, maybe you think it's going to help you in court and you don't have to spend all your money or lose your house. But in the end, if you are absolutely despised and hated and everybody thinks you're a horrible person, what was the point of that? You have to have a life. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say something. And then we can leave it at that. Yeah, we'll go on to the the Um, final two, which are very quick updates. I just think her son copped out without taking accountability. Mm. And that was a choice, right? Like that was a choice. It was. He said the reason he killed himself was to avoid, I mean, essentially to avoid taking accountability for killing Gabby. Um, I don't think that ethos develops on its own. And so I'd be very, and we mentioned it before, I'd be very curious to know what that family dynamic was and what sort of, for lack of a better word, morals and sort of thing. And I think we're seeing it play out with the mom of that she Mm -hmm. is doing in her mind, what she thinks is everything to also avoid accountability. I agree. So I completely hot take, but there's that one. So accountability, we've now got Tyree Nichols. We have yet another city update on him. Yes. There are two. One is that there's been at least one other officer who's been fired. Mm -hmm. Yes. As a result of this. We don't know who, um, at least publicly, we don't know who. And there has also been indication that there are hours upon hours more video. Yes. That we haven't seen. Yes. So my understanding is that there was a pretty um, standard hearing. Um, so sorry. No. I'm filling back up and I just, that was a clean. Would you like some more? A little bit. Yes, okay. please. Thank you. Um, so my understanding is that there was a pretty standard um, pretrial hearing about discovery um, and that there's about 40 to 50 hours. I'm sure there's a lot of hours of tape, yeah. but these particular tapes in, you know, this 40 to 50 hours um, that some people wanted to be freely released to the public at this point. Um, but the defense 
And I think it was only one of the attorneys who obviously is not representing all of the officers, um, but there was only one of the attorneys for one of the officers in court um, objected to this as he should. Yeah. Um, And the judge ruled, which seems to be a pretty standard ruling to me. And we kind of talked about this before that nothing could be released to the public until all of the defense attorneys and all of the prosecutors um, have, have had an, you know, adequate time to review it, which I think is fair. Um, You know, ideally we could have everything open all the time, but I, you know, I I don't think that's a realistic or even a helpful thing. Um, They did mention in the ruling not wanting to cloud potential jurors. Yes. Which, I don't know. Okay. Here's the thing. Go for it, Chelsea. We've already had a lot of video released that was international news. Yeah. That, okay, so this, and again, I'm doing some, like, introspection. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not impartial, right? Like, even if I wanted to be... It's hard to be. I have seen that video. How do I get in, like... Right, like I and I, you know, I've I'm in law school. I'm trying to do, you know, putting myself yeah. in that mind. I don't know how you start mm-hmm. with no nothing. Even if I hadn't done research on it, just seeing the video on social media as I was scrolling by. How do you start from a place of neutrality and be honest? Yes, right. Because I think I would honestly say no. I have some preconceived notions at this point. It is going to be hard enough already with what video is already released to have a fair jury because so many people, including us, including me, honestly, have already formed opinions about the videos, about what it means for the defendants who have been charged, and to release even more video and more information now, the jury, the potential jury pool is already tainted. Right. So to release more now publicly, I think, is a disservice to both sides. Both sides. As much as the public is saying, oh, there's that much more video, release it now, Mm -hmm. we want to know. It's not for us to know. It's Mm -hmm. for the jury to know. The jury is supposed to have access to it. And the more you release now, the less likely you are to seat any jury anywhere. Because this is so nationwide. Yes, as a defense attorney, Mm -hmm. I would move for... A new venue, a change of venue. I would so, say, I don't want to be in Memphis. There's too much in Memphis for or against my defendants. I want to move somewhere else. But as the prosecutor, I say, it's national news. Where else are you going to go that this hasn't been been seen or heard? That was my next question. Um, and again, I don't know. But to me, I would. that seems to be a logical... Mm-hmm. I've never lived in Tennessee. I've never been to Memphis. And I have very strong opinions about it. Um, You know, what is, and to me, this makes me think also, do you get people, you know, when you're doing sort of jury selection, would you, I mean, I think anybody who said, I've seen the video and don't have an opinion would be lying. Oh, how can you not? So, you know, when you're- How can you not have an opinion one way or the other? Even the comments we've received on ours have been one way or the other. We have our own opinions, but there are others who clearly don't agree with it. And that's fine. Good. Each person is entitled to their own opinion, but you have an opinion. There's no non-opinion. Right. Right. So I think that, you know, when you're sort of doing these jury selections and you can maybe speak to this of like, me personally, I'd rather someone say, I've seen the video. I do have an opinion. But if you presented evidence that 
contradicts that view, I would be able to change my view with new evidence? Or do you have the person who's like, no, 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 I'm neutral. I would much rather have the first. Really? If I were able to question, this is, we're going to have to do an episode. We have another podcast called The Law Unscripted, which Mm -hmm. hosts this one. But The Law Unscripted, we talk about specific parts of the law, not any one particular case, but Mm -hmm. specific types of the law that are misunderstood. And I think one of the things we're going to talk about soon is jury selection. And jury selection is so different. Everybody's like, oh, it's the same in all states. It's not. And there are some states in like Virginia Mm -hmm. allows you to, as an attorney, to ask your own questions and gives you fairly good leeway, fairly large latitude of what types of questions to ask. Mm As a Virginia attorney, which this is Tennessee, but as a Virginia yeah. attorney, I would I would ask exactly that. Has anyone seen this video? All hands are raised. Yeah. Raise your hand if you have, right? I'm looking for everybody's hands. I feel like if someone says they haven't, you're lying. Right. right? Like you, you're lying. You make them all put their hand down and you say, for those two people who say they haven't watched the video, do you not have a TV? Do you not have a phone? What is the issue? Yeah. I'd want to question them. I would go so far into it of the person who says to me, I have watched the video, but if there's more evidence, I would be open-minded enough to watch the new videos, watch the extra evidence, and then make a final decision. Yeah. Then for someone who says, yeah, I don't have an opinion. Oh, yes, you do. Strike. Okay. You're gone from my jury. That, to me, is the thing of, like, I have very strong opinions, but very loosely held. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. I do have very strong opinions, but if I'm presented with information, right, I think I would change it now. Do I think there's any facts that really could overcome? And I think about this in in this modern age of like, if you watch it with your own two eyes happening on camera, I don't know what evidence would be more compelling than that. And that seems to be true, but there are 40 to 50 more hours. So if those are different or similar, then show them to me and let me watch them. The first couple of hours I saw were fairly convincing. So let's see what else mm-hmm. you have. I would much rather choose that jury, but, or that juror, mm-hmm. there are other states like Maryland, the attorneys don't question them. It's the judges, right? The judges question them. And it's very limited depending on jurisdiction. You have to submit your questions that you'd like to be asked, but the judge asks a standard set of questions, then decides which other ones would be there. So you don't know. It is scary to me. I am so much better in Virginia. I did win some Maryland cases, but I felt more confident in Virginia in choosing juries and feel like I selected them very well. But it is a crapshoot already. And to have someone... So I don't blame them, so let me go back. I do not blame the judge, the prosecutor, or the defense attorneys from saying, let's not put this public. Let's keep this information to keep the jury as neutral as humanly possible. Once it's shown to the jury, let everybody see it. Yes. I think everybody who wants to see the videos and make a comment, but at least the jury sees it first and makes a final decision. Yeah. I agree. I think I almost agree. And this is so funny. I completely agree, but because I don't want any room for appeal, lock them up and do it right. Mm-hmm. And no, that's a good point. Right. Like, I don't want there to be anything to argue about. I want this to be concluded and to have I justice like served. Yeah. And I think that if you have to withhold it from the public for, you know, a couple more months to do that, so be it. Lock them up and lock them up right. You know, like. I agree. And I think that's a perfect 
example of one of the considerations as a prosecutor and a defense yeah. attorney that these are th- the things you have to look at when you're reviewing this type of case. Now, one thought I have okay. on this case, and then we're going to swap over to our final yes. update, is if I were the defense attorney of mm-hmm. any one of them, I would be having a very strong heart-to-heart with my defendants, especially once I saw the videos. Now, if the extra videos that have to be disclosed to the defense and the defense attorneys, if they have exculpatory evidence, which is evidence that could possibly prove innocence Mm -hmm. of the defendant, that has to be turned over to the defense. And I think we talked about this because each each officer is represented by a different attorney, is my understanding. I mean, again, I'm have expressed my very strong opinions about this case, but I do think if anyone's going to put on a defense, maybe they're one of the lower officers at some point in those 40 hours said, whoa, what, you know, yeah. what's on his body cam. If his body cam shows something different, by God, I'm going to find that body cam. I'm going to use it. I'm going to show it to the prosecutor and I'm going to say, my guy deserves a not guilty, a mistrial, a miss, whatever it is, drop the case We'll put it out into the information. We'll testify against the other officers. But as a defense attorney, for some of them, especially the the lower officers. Quote, yeah, so we're lo- lower ranked, I think, was where my brain was. Right. Yeah. The lower ranked, the less um, involved the officers are. As a defense attorney, I would be thinking a couple things. One is, can he testify against the others and what deal can I make? And two would be, as part of that deal, if any of it is jail time, what prison, what jail, what detention facility can I ask for them to to be put into where they're not in general population? Yeah. That would be my consideration as a defense attorney is let's get this as low as humanly possible, have him testify against the others, mm-hmm. and if he has to go to jail, let's make an, an agreement mm-hmm. of where he's going to go and what population he's going to be put into. I think that's interesting. I don't think I've, I think maybe in my perspective of the case, I haven't, you know, parsed it out. I've just sort of been thinking the police officers as a, as a unit, as a whole. But the truth is, is that they really all have individual levels of culpability. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a really interesting what sort of those negotiations between the prosecutor yeah. and the attorneys will be. Oh my um, gosh. I don't as- know if I'd want to take it to trial though, in any of their cases. Some you may have to. But you're right. It's individual. And each defendant and each defendant's attorney is going to have to have a very heart-to-heart conversation of what do we see as your portion? Mm-hmm. What do we admit to as your portion? What do we ask for? Okay, he's charged with second-degree murder. Let me ask for involuntary manslaughter. And here's what I know. I don't, I'm not saying this is true, so please don't take it out of context. Mm-hmm. But if there's something where one of the guys really did ask them of let's go after this person. I know this person. I want to go after him. If I am one of the other defendants, I would be saying, you know what? I'm going to tell you. You can get that up to premeditation, but I need something in return. Yes. Or if they know that there's mm -hmm. pictures or videos that somebody took. I can tell you why this happened. Yeah. I can tell you why we went after Tyree Nichols. I'm going to tell you what the relationships are. I'm going to tell you who it was that started it and why. Right. In exchange for. Right. Which what I'd be doing is how, you know, I think I 
not to be naive, but had, you know, great ideas that the arbitration of justice was clean cut. And I think that it's just not, which is, you know, it's hard to think that you think you arrest somebody who did something wrong. Right. You know, you go to court and battle it out, but like the vast majority of time, it's not. It's these negotiations that, you know, do you say, we let the person who has a lesser culpability have a lesser punishment, Mm -hmm. but we, but we get the person who is at the heart of it. Right. Let's go for the big player. Yeah. Why did this start? Let me tell you why. Yeah. So we'll follow it and to see sort Gonna of, see. I mean, we'll have multiple cases against yes. each officer to see how they play out. And I have been following it closely. I have the Google yes. alerts me because too. this one's too close for me. It too- I'm, I'm so fascinated. And especially from being from Tennessee, mm-hmm. this is even a little more close to home. Yeah. But being a prosecutor, former prosecutor, former defense attorney, all of this is just too much, too close. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So final, speaking of being a former prosecutor, that leads us to our final update. Look at it. We're segueing so well. This is so nice. So people, law students who are listening, when you're talking about segue of what to do for an argument, pay attention. Chelsea's doing it well. Looping. We are looping. This is absolutely. Look, I learned looping. like one trial practice word, and I'm like <laughs> using it over and over and over. Truly, this is so funny. You'll laugh at this. So, I took a like a Anita trial skills course last summer, mm-hmm. and I knew what looping was. And then I had a whole disaster with my trial. It, it turned out oh. okay, but my partner got sick. Remember, and she couldn't come. Yes. So I accidentally had to do a whole trial by myself. I won, not for the right reasons, but I won. But good for you. Um, because we got to listen to the juries, which was fascinating. Um, but something I didn't think I was very good at was looping because the ADHD, y'all. I have already moved. Oh my god, I almost <laughs> like spit out my wine there. I really got a time when I drink. Go ahead. I have like I think that's a problem. That's why I don't like direct examinations because I've asked you one question and I'm 18 questions ahead <laughs> in my mind. And you say something to me and I'm like, I don't know, I'm gonna ask you the most compound question ever. <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. However, for some reason, and again, I've blacked out this trial that I apparently won because I was so stressed of having to do half of it just just off the cuff. You know, it was a great experience. Trial by fire, I think, is how I learned. Mm -hmm. And so I did. However, one of the the sort of feedback I got was that I was great at looping. When I told you, I looked at this judge and was like, I quite literally could not remember that last thing I said. There's no way I was good at looping. Thank you. But there's no <laughs> way. I don't remember what I said. It's good stuff. Yeah, so I thought that was fun. So we're looping. And um, as a former prosecutor, one of the places I prosecuted was Newport News, Virginia. Yes. And that is the current stage of this six-year-old shooter of his teacher. Yes. And I... We told you last time that it was going to be, the case was going to be put together by the Mm -hmm. detectives involved. Um, Brief recap, six-year-old student went into his um, class, took a gun, shot his teacher who lived, who absolutely lived, props to her, amazing, heroic actions that Mm -hmm. she took. And now there are a couple of things happening. So the first, as we've already talked about, is she has already filed suit. Mm-hmm. against multiple players in Newport News, including the school district, the as superintendent. She as she should. As a civil attorney who does personal injury law, this is absolutely what she should be doing. 
Um, I agree with her. I don't know how it's going to play out because I don't know all the facts. Right. And each defendant is different of who she sued. But as we've talked about before, sue everybody. And sue, I mean, as, as long as it's in good faith. Yes. I think all of the defendants are in good faith and it's sort of, again, mm-hmm. the public is never going to know what the people sort of on the inside know. But even in the public sphere, it has come out oh that my goodness. there were, I mean, yeah. notice is one of these things that you talk about when people are not the people who pulled the trigger. Did these other people know, did they have noticed that there was this, that there was it, a threat, that there was something wrong and people were in danger. And it has come out because other people at the school mm-hmm. have given statements that notice is an understatement. They had, oh my goodness. you couldn't have asked for more people trying to prevent the situation. Yeah. You had students, you had teachers, you had parents, I don't know what else you do. It, it seems like in the in what's been released to the public yeah. that there was ample notice that the student was a threat and that there was a strong possibility or even probability that he was going to do harm. Yeah. I mean, there were students who reported to their teachers that he told people and showed one other student on the playground the gun. The gun that was used. I have such a hard time with this. Like... In my brain, in what sequence of events does someone not notice a six-year-old with a gun? It's hard to comprehend. So I completely approve and agree that she should have filed suit. I don't know where the suit's going to take her. I don't know which defendants are going to settle versus try to get read relieved of it, Mm -hmm. removed from the case. But what I will say is the biggest update has been the Commonwealth's attorney. And for those who don't know, in Virginia, Virginia is one of the few Commonwealths left. There's Pennsylvania that's a Commonwealth. Virginia is a Commonwealth. You didn't know No, no, no. I was trying to remember what the other ones are. We talked about this. I don't know that there are any other. I know that- Is there Massachusetts? Maybe. No. It's it's something else up north. I can't remember what it is. Definitely Pennsylvania and Virginia are still known as commonwealths versus states. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the district attorney or the state's attorney, (laughs) Chelsea's looking it up. But when you talk about the primary prosecutor, the Mm -hmm. the head of the division of prosecutors in, in the jurisdiction in Virginia, it's called the commonwealth's attorney. And what? I was right. There's oh, is four? it Massachusetts? There's four in the United States, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Look at that. Very good. I don't know how I knew that. That's amazing. I'm impressed. It's the vibes. It's the vibes. <laughs> it totally is. So there's truly four commonwealths left, and Virginia is one of those commonwealths. So when you talk about a jurisdiction and mm-hmm. the state's attorney, the district attorney, the prosecuting attorney, in Virginia, it's called the commonwealth's attorney. And in Newport News, Newport News is a city, not a county. So it's the city of Newport News. And they have their own prosecutor's office, which is called the Commonwealth's Office of Newport News for the city of Newport News. Right. The Commonwealth's attorney, so the head prosecutor who leads the entire office for Newport News, is Howard Gwynn. Yes. I know him. I worked under him. Um, I actually really liked him. He was a good friend of mine. He, um, for years he would call and we would talk and he would say, I know you're coming back to Newport News, Virginia. I feel that I believe it. Um, I'm confident in it. And I will tell you, Howard, if you're listening, there are so many days where my heartstrings are pulled. Yeah. Even by myself, I wake up and I think, oh my gosh, I should go back. 
there's a calling to it, right? There's a calling. And I was a prosecutor under him for years and he has come out. So the case was turned over three binders, apparently three large binders of case was passed over to Howard Gwynn and his office for review as to whether anyone can be prosecuted for this horrible event. There's been one statement that's been released and it's only that the six-year-old will not be prosecuted. Which I think we had sort of assumed that to be true because, I mean. He's six. He's six. And then I think the statement was really great. And we've t- and I think mm-hmm. it tied in kind of what we talked about with um, capacity. Um, Correct. And sort of, I think I was in one of our episodes. We've talked about Capacity this. and competency. Incompetency. Mm-hmm. There we go. That was the word I was looking for. Um that a six, there is no six-year-old on the planet who can truly, like that part of your brain literally has not been formed. I think about right. this all the time. Look, there is a difference once you turn 25. Didn't believe people when you said it, but like truly your brain is. is there are too many psychologists and psychiatrists who have said that there is a shift when you turn 25. Look because it up. Because it's the complete development of like your frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. And I don't think it has anything to do with intelligence, right? Like I think that there's just in the biggest part of it is of what, like what your prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. does is impulse control, which I mean, have you met a 17 year old? Have you met a 21 year old? Makes a lot of sense to me. And now there's a six year old. And now there's a six year old. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's a, you know, um, a six year old on this planet who really could understand and have that guilty mind of wanting to take someone out of the world forever. I don't think that's possible. Um, and I think that I'm really glad they're not trying to, I mean, truthfully under Virginia law, they probably could. They could, but, but it's such a hard standard that I, I also agree that the Commonwealth has to decide, do we even prosecute? And what Howard Gwynn said was we have to decide not only do we prosecute, yeah. but what can we prove beyond a reasonable doubt? Right. That was his statement. And we do not believe that we can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the six-year-old committed the crime. But it's not, did he commit it, but did he have the intent? Which is an element to prove. You have to prove not only the action, but the intent, which is the mens rea. Right. So what he is saying is not... Can we prove that he did it? Yeah, we can prove that he did it. The question is, can we prove that this six-year-old had the mental capacity Mm -hmm. and intent? To form intent. To form the appropriate intent. And what he's saying is, no, we don't believe we can. But you know what wasn't in that statement? The parents. The parents. Who I, in my big legal opinions, I hold them 100% accountable. For something. I mean, to me... And I said it before and I'll say it again. If I'm not anti-gun, I'm not. Right. But I am in favor of safe gun practices. Correct. I agree. Right. Like, I don't think there's any scenario where you're practicing gun safety that a six-year-old gets their hands on a gun. Point. Like, to me, that's it. That's a full sentence. That is it. So I think you're then culpable, right? In, in every, if you, I think they are just as culpable, probably even more because I, the trauma that that child will have to grow up and make peace with just breaks Mm -hmm. my heart. Like I, I mean, the trauma that would have had to occur in my speculation for a six-year-old to want to do something like that 
I have a lot of thoughts than to try and go on and like make peace with that in their mind. That's worse than if they had just pulled the trigger themselves, right? Like the amount of damage done there. Right. I, so we're interested. What is Howard Gwynn going to come back with for his office as a whole? It's not just him. His office is reviewing, continuing the review of these binders that were put together by the investigators of this crime and the question I have is one thing, sorry, hitting the mic, one thing has been decided, but what else is there? Yeah. Is there another charge coming for someone else? I hope Maybe the I parents. Mean, I hope so. And I think that's awful that, okay, I think there are two parts to this. I don't think I'm super carceral in my thinking, although today I have been very just like... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's gotten into me today. I'm just not (laughs) having having fun with anybody, but I think there's a combination of things and it might not have been him, but I did read in the same article, another official gave a statement talking about services for the family, which I think was a fair point. Good. Um, and I, I might not have been him, but it might just someone else in the office. It would probably be someone, um, I honestly didn't see that statement. I'm glad you noticed it. I'm going to have to yes, look at it. You it was, should too. It was nothing huge. It was just someone who was giving commentary on the story and that, you know, what services can be provided to this family that seemed to be, you know, maybe yeah. I'll say this with the face I'm making. Um, maybe this is not a situation where there's a huge culpability, but a family really in need of some assistance in certain ways. Maybe that's what's yes. happening. I don't know. Um, either way, I hope that we get some clarity on it. I hope that we don't see things like this anymore, whether it be through punishment or assistance. I just right. think that there has to be a better way, y'all. There has to be. And that's where we're going to leave it. Stay tuned. Those are our updates. Those yeah. are the four, four cases that we continue to watch. Let's um, give a little teaser for next week, Okay. Okay, Chelsea, tell us what's coming okay. next week. Guys, I didn't think. <laughs> She's so, I'm so excited. excited. Okay, because this is something I've been following um, because I am addicted to TikTok. It's a problem, but it's a very good distraction from legal cases. <laughs> it is, though you're still watching cases. That's true, which it cracks Just me up because I can't cases. escape it. Um, okay, so the... This case that happened in Idaho. I almost said Ohio. It's Idaho. Idaho. Yes. Idaho. It was really tragic. Yeah. It's been a couple months. Murder of what? Four, four students? students. Four college students mm-hmm. um, that I truly didn't think we were going to talk about because this is not a true crime podcast and that right. has been the coverage I have seen. I also... And it's not in trial yet. It's not in trial yet. And I also felt, to be quite honest, some of the coverage that I have mm-hmm. seen in other avenues gave me the ick. I thought it was not yeah. appropriate. However, I think next week we are going to talk about the yeah. search warrant, which the full search warrant is online. available online and it's not redacted, which to me is an interesting legal question in and of itself. Um, but I think we're going to talk about the le- legal aspects of it. Um, like I said, it's not a true crime podcast, but I am interested now that we are getting into the legal maneuvering yes. here. Um, and I think that will be very interesting. We can talk about, you know, mm-hmm. Fourth Amendment stuff. I think we have a lot of legal interest yes. to talk about. We've got search warrant issues, which yes. are Fourth Amendment of search and seizure law. 
um, which is highly applicable to what we do and what we talk Absolutely. about. And why in the world would this be public? Why would it not be redacted? Like what, nothing. Nothing's redacted. Um, so we are going to pick it up of the Idaho murders next yes. week. And if there's something else, clearly we try to keep track of yeah. each week. If something is bigger or more pressing, we're going to hit yes. it. But it is our intention. So stay tuned with us for next week to go to the Idaho murders as part yeah. of not just a true crime kind of issue, but now a legal issue yes. that we believe is worth covering for the legal legality. Of yeah. It. And I think it comes full circle. What we've touched about in some of the other cases mm-hmm. we gave updates on today, how will the media coverage and what has yeah. been released to the public then impact yeah. the, the await the trial we're awaiting at this point. So, yeah. um, a little teaser for next week. Stay tuned. Everybody do stay tuned. Um, this is the hottest legal weekly news um, that we're covering. We do have another podcast, The Law Unscripted, where we delve into each of the legal issues versus the news. So you can find out more mm-hmm. about competency versus insanity. You can find out more about what happens to trial versus arrest. Versus find out more about my driving record. <laughs> Chelsea's driving record. Um, So check that out. We would love for you to comment. We do get some interesting comments. Even if they're negative, they're interesting. We love positive comments. But even if they're negative, they're interesting because these are opinions. And everybody under the First Amendment is entitled to their opinion. As Virginia's dad says. But hey, look. Shout us out in the comments if you disagree with something we said. Let's do it back and forth. We can have a respectful discussion. Um, Clearly, I have lots of opinions. Um, <laughs> we do, but that's what makes this interesting. Yeah. So stay tuned, subscribe, like, um, how follow, however it is in your podcasting portion or the YouTube, which does have the video of mm-hmm. us. Check out both or either. Um, let us know how it's going, what you think about us so that we have upcoming topics. But yeah. this is what we're covering. We are thrilled to be here. Thank you for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your reviews. We've gotten yes. quite a few. Um, but this is the Legal Weekly Wine. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm Chelsea Rogers. We're with Tarani Law LLC based in Maryland, D.C. and Northern Virginia because you never need a lawyer. Till you do. <laughs>